Welcome back to another episode of the Fast Break Lip NBA podcast. It's your boy Samuel here. I got with me another guest, first time guest to the show, longtime Twitter friend, um, Schwinn from Pod Strickland and the Strickland and anything Nick's Twitter. Um, Schwinn, say what's up to the people. What's up, people? How you doing, Schwinn? I'm uh, doing well, man. Uh, just happy to make my debut and uh, enjoying the nice three-day break uh, that we get between every finals game. Apparently, yeah. Um, it's kind of it's kind of jarring how like much days they're giving them in between each game. Because I mean, considering like most of the other series, it was like almost every other day. Especially the the conference finals, it was like every other day they were playing and they didn't get much rest. So. I mean, I guess it's nice for the players, but it's weird for us as fans because we have nothing to really do during that time. But um, speaking of such, um, let's get right into the thick of things. The NBA Finals are tied at one game apiece following a blowout win in San Francisco in Game 2 um, thanks to a Steph Curry-led um, flurry in the third quarter as the Warriors are prone to do. Um, over the last, I want to say six years. So, but yeah, I mean, um, Steph, um, he had 29 points that game. Jordan Poole added, uh, what was it? I believe 17 off the bench. Um, yeah, yeah. Didn't shoot that well, but you know, he made some like really huge timely buckets that kind of like really crushed the Celtics like chances of even coming back. Um, and other than that, it was just pretty much just like Steph running the well-oiled machine that is Golden State. But um, how are you feeling about the finals so far, Shwin? Uh, I mean, look, I have I've I've said this multiple times. I think that I I think that uh, Boston should win the series, uh, quite frankly. And um, you know, I I haven't seen anything that makes me feel any different so far. But I. I, well, I, I thought Boston would win this, and honestly, I thought five or six games. I think six seems like a way better bet now. Um, they've really struggled with guarding Steph uh, in this series so far, and like that's normal because Steph is amazing. But I just I, I didn't think he was going to break their defense as much as he has, and I thought it was just a really bad matchup for Golden State. Um, Clay hasn't even really gotten going yet, uh, and I know he's been really up and down in the playoffs, but that would be something that I definitely think bodes well for Golden State. Um, even this version of Clay is usually good for a couple of explosive games in the playoffs. Uh, and, you know, as bad as Draymond has been offensively, you figure he's going to have a, a game or two games where he'll make some shots. And that, that I mean, look, I, I just think that Golden State looks like they're probably got at least one more win in them, uh, just given what we've seen. But with with Boston, I just I don't know. I, I think I think Tatum is really really good, and I think uh, they're big. They definitely have the size advantage in the series, and I don't think that really benefits them that much on the glass, just because they're not that great of a rebounding team. But it does benefit them um, in terms of their defense because I think it's just like if Golden State wins, it's going to be because Steph has an all-time series. Because you know, I know Jordan Poole had a he like kind of went off. I thought, he, I mean, to me, he went off when the game was over. Um, yeah, 
And I just, I, I don't really trust him in this series. I still think his decision-making is pretty bad uh, in pressure situations, especially against a defense like this. And I thought even in the first half of the of game two, he was pretty bad. And he was atrocious, I thought, in game one. Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I really think Boston should win this series. But Steph is an all-time great player. Um, so, you know, you always have a shot. And, you know, as good as Tatum has been this year and in the playoffs, uh, Steph is still the best player in the, in the series. So if you have the best player in the series, you're you're never out of it. Yeah. And I mean, also the factor that they they've been here before. I mean, like, I mean, it's not the same core that's been I mean, it's the same core, but it's not the same supporting pieces that have been there like since like 2015. I mean, you've got Steph, Draymond, Clay. And like Kavon Looney, that's like the main guys that have been there. And oh, Iguodala, right. who's like a corpse at this point. But um, yeah, I mean, you still have that core group of guys that have been there before, so they know what it takes to get it done. And I do agree with you on like multiple um, points on like the Celtics, because I mean, I was nervous when I first saw like that the Celtics were ending up playing Golden State because, I mean, as a New Yorker, as a New York fan, you just don't want to see Boston like thrive or yes. do anything positive. So like given that they've had this matchup advantage on Golden State and not even just this year but like since Steve Kerr's been there I feel like I think like they're one of the better teams that have played against Golden State throughout each iteration. So I mean that's 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 an interesting thing within itself there. But I feel like um yeah, they were just bigger like you said and like but like also it doesn't matter like you said as well cuz Kevin Looney's just been feasting on the boards um for like the latter half of the playoffs but yeah like you said if Steph has an all-time series i mean that's probably the only way that it turns their way the one thing with Tatum that i will say is that i don't know how much the shoulder injury is bothering him because it seems like every game that he's holding it and grimacing it. And I know this past game, he had like a pretty good game, but like game one, he looked absolutely abysmal shooting the ball. And like, even in like towards the end of that Miami heat series, he didn't really look like himself. So I'm wondering if there's some lingering um, effects. um, And if the the Warriors can take advantage of that. Um, But yeah, I share the same sentiments about Jordan Poole as well. Um, I just don't know. For me, it's like in the Nuggets series, he was able to take advantage of like the awful guard play in that in that series against Denver, as well as being able to take care um take advantage of mismatches versus Jokic. With the Celtics, there's like you said on um the recent Pod Strickland episode, like there's really no weak links in the um Boston Celtics defense. And I mean if Peyton Pritchard's your like weakest link, that's pretty good. So like it's really hard for Jordan Poole to do what he wants to do. Um Draymond's been pretty rough. I mean, he's been trying to get into the Celtics' head physically. Um, we'll see how that goes. I mean, we know how the refs can either hold their whistle or even just, like, not deal with his bullshit. So we'll see how that goes in game three. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm picking Golden. I picked Golden State from the jump in seven just because I don't want to wish anything well towards Boston, and I'm just hoping that my – positive sentiments can manifest themselves oh, but yeah i do feel like this series is going to be a real rugged one um how, how are you feeling about game three what do you what do you think who do you think takes that one and what do you see happening uh 
you know, Boston has they've been pretty good about bouncing back uh, in series so far this year in the playoffs. I I want to say they haven't lost two in a row the entire playoffs. I think. Uh, I believe I'm so. Pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they haven't lost two in a row the entire playoffs. I I think like look ultimately I, as I've said I, I think Golden State is the better team or sorry not sorry I think Boston is the better team. I just I don't know like they've you know I know Smart has had success against Steph in the regular season but so far through two games he hasn't really slowed him down much at all um, other than when he was kind of like allowed to just hold him uh, throughout the second half of game one but. Even then, I thought Steph got to his spots. He just missed some shots. But, like, I don't know. I I kind of get the sense that Golden State might have figured something out in game two. Uh, I thought forgetting the offense, which they've scored as well as anybody has against the Celtics defense uh, in the playoffs anyway. But I thought their defense was awesome. Um they, I, I, you know, look, I, I've seen a lot of people talking about how physical they were allowed to play and all this stuff. And like, I don't know. I, I kind of think that's bullshit. Like Boston it has. Yeah. It, Boston, got, they, they got away with so much in that net series. I mean, well, I mean, that's the entire thing is like the, the Celtics have had a lot of success in this playoffs and in general, just because their defense is very physical and, you know, guys like Horford and smart and Grant Williams, they do all of their own type of bullshit that Draymond also engages in. And like, that's fine. But um, that's why I kind of think it's BS when then they turn around and it's like, well, they were allowed to be physical. I mean, I thought, I thought overall, if you were just to ask me what I thought of the official so far, I thought in game one, the Celtics got a better whistle. And I thought in game two, Golden State got a better whistle. So to me, it, it, it evened out. Yeah, even out, I think it's been about even in this series. Um, and like, I don't know. I was just really impressed with their defense. I thought putting Draymond on Jalen Brown was a very smart idea. Um, if Boston wants to try to attack, uh, you know, mismatches with Horford in the post or something, I think Golden State would gladly give that to them. Uh, and... You know, it, they were just able to stay at home on so many of the shooters in, in game two because Draymond did such a good job of keeping Jalen Brown out of the paint. Um, and I thought their defense on Tatum was a lot better. There were just less rotations to make because of that, because Draymond wasn't helping off Horford and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to back off of my pre series. Hey, I mean, it's Boston. I wouldn't blame you. Like, yeah, I go, mean, go right ahead. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just I it, this series is really giving me like uh, twenty twelve finals kind of flashbacks where that was the first Miami championship. That was LeBron's first championship, mm-hmm. uh, and it was like I remember after game one of that series, I was like, I think OKC is just more talented and they're bigger and they're more athletic. And I had a lot of the same thoughts that I had about Boston coming into this series. And then, I, you know, Miami, like, won a pretty tight game two. And then they just, they won a tight game three. They won a tight game four. And then I think game five was kind of a blowout. But, like, yeah. the point being is their experience, their collective experience. And I think 
some of the uh, like Jalen. I, I think the criticisms of Brown and Tatum throughout this playoffs have been really weird because like they're like every time they lose, it's like, are they really a finals caliber team? And I, I don't really understand that because they're in the finals. Like, so yes, they're a finals caliber team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I just think like, you know, is it an ideal one and two pairing? Probably not. Mostly just because I don't think either is a great ball handler uh, or even necessarily much. I mean, I think Brown is basically an average ball handler and Tatum is above average for a wing, but like, Neither is tremendous. Neither is a particularly amazing playmaker, although Tatum did have a great playmaking game in game one, and in general, I think has taken a stride there. But, like, I don't know. I I just get the sense that, like, if Golden State can keep these games close, and I know it sounds crazy to say that because, obviously, Boston had that insane fourth-quarter comeback in game one, but, like, it just feels like if they can keep the game tight and... Clay and Poole can avoid taking really stupid shots. They, it just feels like a series they're going to sneak out somehow. And that, I don't know. It's like that's just the feeling I'm getting as after the first two games. Is like it just feels like this is a series where I don't know. I, I, Steph is like I don't want to say he's. I don't particularly believe Steph is like a really smart player and i'm not that's not to say he's stupid but like he makes a lot of dumb mistakes in like timely moments he like you know he we all remember like uh game seven in 2016 where he throws Mm -hmm. the behind the back pass to clay in the corner and it's like he he has moments like that but right now and honestly this entire playoff run i've thought he hasn't had it yeah he's been really locked i don't know yeah he seems locked in this seems like you know he i i think he kind of understands like what one more championship does for him and his legacy and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I'm not going to back off my prediction, but (laughs) I I do. I I really am getting a sense now that like golden state might just, they might sneak it. Um, because if, again, if you have the best player in the series, you always got a shot. Yep. And like the cliche says, never underestimate the heart of a champion. And I mean, with Golden State, we've seen them through everything. So, I mean, this series is nothing they haven't seen before. And yeah, and you know, I, I also would say this: I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if Golden State, like, if Game Three is going to be a blowout, I almost think it'll be Golden State that blows them out because I, I don't know, they, they seem to like going back to all of their series, right? I think they've won the first game on the road in each series. So they won the first game on the road against Denver. They won the first game on the road against um, Memphis in that one what was it one seventeen one sixteen, and then they won the first game on the road at Dallas uh, mm-hmm. also. And it just feels like like I think they know that if they can get the one game right, they get one game four is kind of like a it's a freebie in a sense. Like if you lose, okay, it's two, two going back home. If you win, give a chance to close out at home. I feel like they're going to be really locked in for this game. This is, I, I, the experiencing doesn't really matter to me, but I do think like the combination of this being the first finals game back in Boston since 2010. Yeah. Since 2010. I think the crowd is going to be really amped up. And I wonder if, 
Boston will almost be too geeked up for this mm. game in a sense. Yeah, they might be psyched out a little. I, I feel. I, like I feel like. I feel like they'll. They're going to be like too amped up for it. I mean, look, we've like we've seen this with like Draymond, right? Where like he like walks that line, right? And I don't know if Boston really has anybody that's that type of personality. Like I know Grant Williams and Horford and Smart. They're all like annoying in their own way, but they're not fiery in the way that Draymond is. And I don't know if they like necessarily feed off of that type of emotion. Like Draymond seems to feed. Like it's like he needs to be angry and like walking a line to really like play at the level that golden state needs him to play. And when he's not on the edge, his game is not the same. And I just wonder if like all the emotion and all that kind of stuff with the crowd, if that pushes Boston to that type of edge. And I don't think they're a team that plays well on that edge. I think they're a team that, you know, I know they've had some great fourth quarter comebacks this year in the year in the playoffs, but over the course of the season, they were a really bad fourth quarter team. They had blew so many leads. Um, it just, I don't know. I, I There's just weird things going on. I feel like, I, I think Golden State wins game three, and then I think Boston wins game four, and then we have a best of three. Yeah, like, like to your point, I think throughout the regular season, they're like one of the worst teams within when a game was within like five points or something. Yeah, they were worse than the Knicks. I I, I just watched like, uh, I rewatched that game, the RJ game winner game a couple of days mm-hmm. ago, and like, there was a stat during that game they dropped where they like at that time they were, you know, three and ten or something like that in five point games, some shit like which is insane Oof. considering. I think Tatum is a star at least. I think he's, I mean, like ascending to that level of superstar. I mean, if they if they yeah, I mean, if they win a championship, I don't know how you say he's not a superstar, but yeah, yeah. I think he's pretty much a superstar or close to it. And I think Brown is an all star caliber player. So like, you know, it's they should be able to close games out. Yeah, it's just it's just surprising they haven't closed games out. And actually, Jalen Brown he's leading the playoffs in fourth quarter scoring uh, right now. I think at least in terms of total. I don't know if that's accurate for average. That might be due to the blowouts and him being the one that causes some of those blowouts. Because I remember I think it was game five in Miami where he went like crazy in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he he has these quarters where he's like the greatest scorer in the NBA. I don't know. It's, he, I mean, he did it to us on opening night. He did like he had like what twenty five in the first quarter. Yeah, he has some. He is a weird player, man. I I I don't know. I mean, he's really good, but like it's crazy. He'll drop like twenty and a quarter, and then you won't hear from him for like two and a half quarters. It's very very odd player. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see what happens with this series. Hopefully, we we get treated to more closer games because, I mean, dating back to, I want to say, the second round, we've been just treated to consistent blowouts nonstop. So it would be fun to get some um, some close basketball. Um, moving on to our next topic, we have the Utah Jazz situation. This has been probably one of the more predictable <coughs> things to – go down in the NBA, like on a scale of one to 10, how shocked are you by the Utah jazz situation? Uh, not that, uh, not, not that surprised. I, I guess I was a little bit surprised that Quinn Snyder stepped down. I mean, like not the way it had played out. It didn't surprise me too much, but at the end of the season, I didn't get the sense that he was planning on, on stepping down. So, 
that the the development of that has been surprising, but like I'm not really that surprised by anything else. Um, you know, the like he hadn't committed to staying. I think when that lasts as long as it did, it's not that surprising when mm-hmm. the guy ultimately does step down. Um and I mean there were and, all the rumblings too throughout the year, like, <laughs> oh, he's in lieu for the Lakers job, and we'll talk about who took the Lakers job later. But like there was rumors of him swirling throughout the whole regular season of like he might end up being the coach of this team next year. So it was it was it was probably like more certain that he was gonna be stepping down or at least would be fired, one of the two. So yeah. Yeah, I mean I guess, you know, when it gets I don't think all those there's also rumors of him like potentially being Pop's replacement in San Antonio at some point. I don't know. Like I I can't say I'm surprised by it. I also think it's not if they are going to salvage the situation, um, I think it had to be a different voice. Like, you know, we talk like you've seen this with the Celtics where it's broadly a lot of the same roster as they were last year. Right. I think other than Horford, is there anybody? And I guess Derek white, but like other than those two guys, everybody else on the team was basically with the team and adding Udoka, I think, adding his voice and just a different approach from the coaching staff, it, it can shake things up. And if you get the right guy, I think it can help get you back to a higher level. Um, I don't personally believe Utah has much. I don't think it's the same. Like they don't have the young guys that Boston does. So I don't think a change of voice is really going to like take them anywhere, but it's, it's not a bad idea. And also I think, they need somebody who I'd be shocked if they keep Gobert. Um, I think they want to keep Mitchell. The only way to keep Mitchell and the only way that you're going to keep Mitchell happy long-term is if you put a contending team on the floor, they have, they have to get smaller contracts. They have to get assets. Their pick situation is fucked right now. They need to shake things up. And I think Gobert and Mitchell, obviously, their issues are well documented. Yeah. Um, I think you're going to trade him. And does that mean next year you're going to be as good as you were this year or have been generally with those two? Probably not. But like, you never know. I mean, I don't know what they can, what they're going to get for Gobert, but like, depending on the return, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But like, I don't know. Th- that situation is really, really a disaster. I, I just I don't think I think they trade Gobert this summer. Oh wow, really? Think, yeah, I think Gobert is going to be gone this summer, and then I think, um, you know, I really struggle to see them getting enough of a return and nailing everything they need to nail to make Mitchell comfortable staying there. Um, you know, with the idea that they can compete, and I think it, I I think he's gone next summer. Um, I just there there's a lot of shit they need to get done, and and really like they have to nail so much this offseason you know they had their depth is awful they're not athletic on the perimeter they don't have much shot creation outside of Mitchell they don't really have any shot creation uh Mike Conley is you know 50 years old at this point like he can't stay healthy it's yeah I, I think they're it, it'll be interesting I I would definitely uh I, I think they're gonna be in for a lot of changes this offseason Cause I mean, from the, I mean, I don't like to take, you know, these reports as gospel, but like, it sounded like from, I think it was a quote from the athletic 
like a month or two ago that said like you know basically they were con- not content but they wanted to keep donovan they wanted to keep gobert they wanted to basically like it sounded like basically like they wanted to run it back and like a lot of people laughed at them on twitter reasonably so i mean seeing how the situation has been unfolding i mean for me i've been like i've been like closely watching this since the bubble collapse where they were up 3-1 um mm-hmm. against the nuggets and when that happened i was like okay this is about to be done soon because they peaked they peaked i forgot what year it was but i think it was the year prior to the bubble they peaked i feel like that that was the year that they peaked um and the then bubble year? yeah the bubble year i feel like that was the year that they peaked um and i feel like even the year after where they like they were up on um were they up against the clippers or in that series i forget uh but, they were up 2-0 yeah they were up so they were up in that series 2-0 against the clippers um last year and then they lose that series after Kawhi um blows his knee and i'm like all right now it's gotta be done but then they decide to run it back again and i mean the first person they get rid of surprisingly is quinn snyder but yeah i mean to me i thought like I said before, I thought they were going to run it back this year and maybe they still do. There's still time for that. But I mean, I would not be surprised also if Gobert is gone or even Donovan Mitchell is gone and they just decide to like, you know what, we're just going to blow this whole thing up, which would be the smartest thing to do. Um, but speaking of their coaching situation, um, the Jazz have just received permission to interview several assistant coaches for that coaching job, which include Johnny Bryant from our New York Knicks. Will Hardy from the Celtics, Charles Lee from the Bucks, Joe Mazzula from the Celtics, um, Jazz assistant Alex Jensen and Terry Stotts will also get interviews, and Woj says the list will continue to grow with assistants and former head coaches. Yep, yeah, yeah, I saw that. So, I mean, la, I mean, the main thing that people like ourselves, Knicks fans, are assuming is that's going to be Johnny Bryant because we know his connection with Donovan Mitchell is close. Um, we are also, of course, worried because we will be stuck with Thibs and a whole bunch of his um, mindless minions to um, run the team if he ever gets fired. But um, save that conversation for another day. But I mean, yeah, I mean, who who do you think gets this job? I mean, off the bat. Uh. I I know everybody's saying Johnny Bryan. I maybe it's him. Like I maybe I'm just being because I don't want him to go. But like <laughs> I I kind of think it's I I don't know. I feel like I feel like he probably has an idea that he's in line to be next up in New York. Whenever they fire Tibbs, mm-hmm. I would think. New York at this point in time is a more attractive job than Utah. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't know, like uh, from the outside looking in, do you really go into that place and think, yeah, Donovan Mitchell is going to be here. And like, I, I don't know, there's just so much going on there that I think if you have options, you would maybe hold off but you know look if there's 30 nba head coaching jobs that's it there's there's only 30 so like if you get offered one it's hard to turn it down um you know uh silas took the houston job kind of knowing that what he was stepping into and that harden was kind of 
not happy and but he still took the job you know he still took it because there's only 30 jobs so maybe he takes it i don't know um i have no clue how to judge it i i do wonder if people are just leaning like i know that mitchell is close with brian and obviously that was somebody who did a lot of player development stuff with him but like i don't know what his relationship is with an assistant like they have alex jensen who they're interviewing he's a jazz assistant yeah just Mitchell have a good relationship with him? I don't know. Uh, does he have a good relationship with whoever? I mean, it, I just think there's like so much other factors to, that could be contribute. Yeah, I mean, like I, I'm assuming he's gonna have he's definitely gonna have some input into this into this yeah. decision. But like, you know, what if he talks to fucking whatever Will Hardy is one name listed here? If he talks to Will Hardy and then they, wow, he's like, wow, this guy's awesome. I'm down. Let's get with it. Like, I don't know. I, I just I feel like Johnny Bryant would be the choice if they literally just listen to everything donovan mitchell wants and don't consider anything else really mm-hmm. but i i don't know like is that why you bring in danny ainge is danny ainge really gonna do that i don't know i, I just i i feel like that's an interesting angle and i understand why that would they could play out that way i would generally speaking i think you just take the field though i don't know yeah i mean if i'm johnny bryant like you said, you probably got the next job heading up for you. Also, he's probably going to have some type of connection with Donovan Mitchell to know that Donovan Mitchell is probably most likely not going to be staying there for a while. So, I mean, you said there are 30 jobs in the NBA, but also if he's like, I don't want to go to a rebuilding situation, then he can just hold off and be like, you know what? I'm cool off this. But, I mean, he was there for a while. I think he went to college at Utah. So there's like a lot of factors for him to also take the job as well. So we'll see how that plays out with Johnny Bryant. Hopefully he stays because, you know, we want him as the next up coach for the Knicks. Um, with the Jazz, though, I mean, like you said, besides Go- Gobert, trading Gobert, what do you think would be their other priority behind him? Um, sorry, other than trading Gobert, what what can they yeah. do? Yeah, what would what would be like the, their number two priority behind trading Gobert? I mean, just getting younger, um, getting getting younger, getting more athletic, adding somebody, anybody who can stay in front of the ball on defense on the perimeter. Uh, they they just need to get younger and more athletic. Like that was. And and adding some other shot creator, I, I would like. I think if I were them, I would want to get off Mike Conley's contract. Oh, for sure. Uh, I still think he has some game left, but like again, they need to get younger. They need to get more athletic. I don't like the fit at all between him and Donovan Mitchell. I think that makes them super easy to attack on defense. Um, and I think they just need somebody to really. They just need more active wing players like their their wings are really really slow or unathletic or just not that good you know yeah, Bogdanovich, like Bogdanovich and like he's a good Daniel player house yeah I like I like Bogdanovich he's a good player but like you know he's not exactly blowing by anybody and he's not exactly staying in front of anybody um and it's it's just yeah I mean it's it's it is what it is. I, I think that they, any way they can do that, they should do that. If there's a team that'll give them a couple guys that can just play defense and hit an open three every now and then, for Conley, they should take it. I, I just they, they that that roster construction is really not close to what they need to be to compete in the West. 
And you'd think after the Clippers series, I mean, seeing how that perimeter defense got exposed and left Gobert basically on an island to fend for himself, not to be a Gobert apologist, but I mean, like, that's just the truth of what it was. But you would think after seeing that happen, they would, like, do something in the offseason to change that. But, I mean, they decided to run it back. And, I mean, God bless them. But it, it landed them right back where they were last year, another early exit than they were expecting. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Jazz. I mean, not looking up there. Um, moving on, another topic that's been kind of in the NBA news cycle lately <clears throat> has been shortening the NBA season. We are in a group chat together, so I, I've already like gotten a glimpse of your um, takes on shortening the season. Um, I think for me now, it's it, it's become more of a pressing issue because I think someone pointed out since 2020, we're going to have three NBA championships already, and it's only been two years. So like the seasons are really pressed together. Um close together and players are not getting as much breaks as they need to. Um, and especially with like the uh, events in the summer, like the Olympics and stuff like that happening in between that time frame as well. You just have NBA players playing basketball nonstop without a good amount, a, a good enough break. And we're seeing like a lot of these injuries happen. It seems like it's more than before, but I feel like it was, there were some years before that were really bad as well. So, but um, yeah, I mean that's that's been in that's been a topic of discussion um lately with you know people wanting to shorten the NBA season because I guess they feel like it will lessen the chance of injuries. For me, I would be an advocate for lessening the season because I feel like it's not as meaningful anymore, and the players have made it seem that it's not as meaningful as before. Um, so I feel like less games makes the season feel a little bit more meaningful in that degree, as well as because the commissioner wants to add a midseason tournament. So it's like, how do you motivate players that already are not motivated to play complete seasons to play that midseason tournament? So how do you feel about this whole situation? Because it's a lot and like, it feels like it's trying to solve an issue, but it's like not really going to solve an issue. But yeah, how do you feel? Um. I mean, look, I, I think they're gonna they're gonna end up keeping the same amount of games, but they'll probably have this midseason tournament thing, so it is what it is. But like I, I don't really care about this issue. I feel like fans and players and people want to constantly um make this like some big crisis point. You know, every time there's an injury, you know, we need to reassess the schedule and we play too many games and guys don't care and blah 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 blah. And like I don't give a fuck. Um, I think winning championships is supposed to be hard. You're supposed to have to endure a lot. There's supposed to be obstacles. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be um, easy on your body. It's supposed to be grueling. It's supposed to be physically taxing. That's what makes in, that's what makes winning a championship. That's what makes repeating. That's what makes repeating again, repeating. Like that. That's what makes all of these things hard because not like the best team does not always win the championship, right? Like that's the reality of basketball. We can see like there, that's, that's what it is. So if we're trying to create some fucking thing where, you know, 
oh, we want to make sure that the best players and the best teams are always that that's what happens. That's what comes out. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't really understand that. I think you're still like, you know, do we really think teams are going to take the midseason tournament um, like super seriously at first? No, I don't. I And so no. like, you're probably going to have the same shit. You probably have guys resting for those games. What does that do? Does that change anything? Um, you know, I've seen people say, like I saw Cuban, or Mark Cuban, he tweeted out earlier this year, right? I think in the playoffs about how like guys, you know, it, because guys were playing every other day, that's why there were so many injuries. And I'm like, I don't under, even understand that because isn't that the entire thing? Like you want to avoid back-to-backs, but playing every other day is fine. Um, and then, you know, I just, I just think people like to, like over the last 10 years, right? Since Silver took over, they have limited the amount of back-to-backs every team is, uh, you know, every team kind of has on their schedule. They've increased the length of the all-star break. They have, I think they've increased the length of the season. I'm not sure if that's true or not though. Uh, I think they have, I think they've taken on board a lot of great precautionary measures, right? Obviously every team in the NBA now, well, not every team, but most teams have scheduled rest days for players and all these kind of things. Medical staffs are up on it. Like, I just don't see this as a problem. And I, and I think all the, t- like every time you try and solve a problem, there's always unforeseen things that pop up and then you end up having to try and fix those problems. And then when you fix those, then there are other problems. Like there's always going to be problems. Nobody's ever going to be happy. An 82 game regular season is fine. I don't see the issue with it. If you want to play less games, that's fine. But then you should also be ready to take less money because that's like what this all is. This is about money at the end of the day. And nobody wants to make less of it. And that includes the players. That includes the owners. That includes everybody. So that includes the league fucking for damn sure. And so if there's a way to make the same amount of money or more money with less games, I'm sure that everybody will be thrilled to do it. If anybody has to take a single pay cut, nobody's going to do it. And that is ultimately where they have to figure that out. So whatever they do, I just the pot of money has to stay the same or it has to get better or that plan will not happen. Yeah, and that's what's going to make the new CBA very interesting because you've had all these different, I mean, just like forget the injury stuff, players sitting out because of trades, vaccines, because they don't feel like it. I mean, all that. And then you have, I don't know how much players are going to advocate for this, but maybe maybe some owners might. It's going to be a very interesting CBA. Um, it's going to be a, probably a very interesting lockout too, because we know they're not really going to get on the same page. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 more indifferent on it. I mean, if they shorten the season, whatever. I know they're not going to do it. Um, midseason tournament, I really don't care for it that much. Um, f- for the playing tournament, I was really on board for that because I was like, okay, that gives you know more teams a chance to compete for something at the end of the year. And it's it's worked to a degree. Like we see, like these playing games have been entertaining, and maybe that will be the case with the midseason tournament over time. But I just don't see it right now. But like I say, with everything, we'll see, because you know things really change on a whim like that. Um, in the NBA. Yep. yep, absolutely. Next topic, it's a very interesting one. DeAndre Ayton. I mean. This has been a very interesting situation that's been unraveling since 
since their finals birth last last year. I mean, we saw Macau Bridges, he got paid. Chris Paul, he kind of took like a little pay cut, I guess. That's what you can call it. Um, Devin Booker's already been um, taken care of. So the last person that they needed to really take care of was DeAndre Ayton. The man in the middle, holding things down for them. Um, 24 years old. He was the number one overall pick in 2018. And to start the season, they could not get they could not come to an agreement on an extension. And I think it was because a lot of people said Sarver was cheaping out Aiton. I feel like maybe that's subjective up to you, up to how you see his value um, as a fan. Um, but yeah, people thought that Sarver was, you know, cheaping out on him because, you know, people say Sarver's a cheap owner. Um, his reputation precedes him. Among other things wrong with Sarver that, you know, just gonna push that to the side for now but um back to Aiton I mean he's heading into restricted free agency and it seems now more than before that he is not going to be returning to them because their relationship is just not on the right page and I'm wondering how you feel about this whole situation that's gone down in the recent developments especially since they're flame out in the playoffs and him not being really a factor. And that's probably due to them not getting him involved with the offense as well as, you know, him just not getting himself involved as well. But yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like Aiton a lot. I think he's a really good player, um, but he was really bad in that second round series against Dallas. I uh, didn't take advantage of mismatches that, Quite frankly, he needs to be taking advantage of. He needs to own mismatches like that. And he didn't. Um, his lack of physicality, uh, utilizing it, leveraging it, it, was very noticeable. I think that's very concerning. Uh, there have been question marks about his general effort levels, his, um, his I don't want to say motor, but, uh, I mean, weirdly, there's been a lot of stuff about, like, he plays video games too much and like doesn't sleep a lot because of oh, it. Wow. So like people are worried that that affects his performance. I don't really know what to make of that. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to be back. Um, and even if he is back, I think it would just be ultimately like they're, they're just protecting their asset. I don't think it would be much more than that. So, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I like Aiden a lot. I think he's a really good player, but he is a guy who has not really developed as probably as they hoped when they took him first overall. I mean, they took him first overall over fucking Luca, and um, which some doesn't of that get thought, talked about as much as it should be. Yeah, right. Um, but like some of that's on him, but some of that's on them too. Like you know, since Chris Paul's gotten there, they really have not bothered to do much with him like they have just kind of used him exclusively as a play finisher um and not really put him in positions to develop his post game or use him as a playmaker um i know that that's been a frustration for him he wants to be able he wants to be more involved offensively um you know Will they not be a contender if they don't keep him? It probably depends on what you get back from him. Um, but yeah, it's just a tough situation. Like, I, 
I was of the opinion he was kind of like, you just have to max him before the playoffs. But the way that played out against Dallas, like I do understand why they they internally and other teams and people and fans and all that kind of stuff have reservations about giving him a max. Like I, I think that's very reasonable given what we saw. So what is that? You know, how do you manage that? It is it's tough. And, um, you know, maybe they shouldn't have paid McCall Bridges when they did, and they should have paid Aiton and all that kind of shit. But, like, ultimately, if he wants a max, that's what he wants. And I think somebody's going to give it to him. Um, I think Detroit, well, could be that team. I think there'll be multiple teams that would be willing to give him a max because he is super, super talented. Um, you know, and somebody's going to look at him and somebody's going to be like, well, we can get the best out of him. We can do that. We can do that. And, um, you know, it just sucks though for them because as a restricted free agent, like they will get something in return for him, but man, they're, they're going to probably end up losing a guy they drafted first overall for what is a relatively insignificant return. Yeah. It's going to be like pennies on the dollar basically. Right. Yeah. It's going to be like, you know, 35 40 cents on on what his true value is probably something like that yeah and it's interesting because like i have the um athletic article up um where it says like would he fit with the pistons and i feel like that's a probably good good place for him um i've heard rumors before in the past of you know okc probably making a, a run at him maybe um as well as san antonio probably because i think those are teams with cap space this summer right yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think those are the two, those are the two other teams that I've seen, um, like him mock to. What do you think is the best option? Like, where do you, where do you think he best fits? I really like him in Detroit. Actually, I think that would be really fun. Um, I think him and Cade would be a good fit. I don't know if I like him in um, Portland so much. The thing with Detroit that I like is, other than Cade, they don't have a lot of guys that are going to do be going to be scoring a bunch like you know it's it's Cade and Sadiq Bay so i think for Aiton if you want to get the best out of him it's going to be a guy who he has to develop his offensive game and become more of a higher usage player and i think he'll have that opportunity in Detroit um so i i do think that would be probably the best spot for him um I know the Pacers have been rumored. I'm not sure about that. That seems like a weird one to me. Um, though I guess if they trade Turner, other than Halliburton, who is there really? Like not much there. Buddy Heald, I guess, but he's probably not going to be there for for too long. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think Detroit seems like the best one. Um, and I also think you know, look if you're if you're Phoenix, maybe you think okay, well if we can get Jeremy Grant back from them, maybe that's not so bad and that's a decent piece. Yeah, I was thinking like, yeah, because it seems like Detroit is going to want to get off um, Jeremy Grant, and there will be tons of suitors for him, including the Portland Trailblazers, who God knows what is Portland doing up there. But um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts all over the NBA as usual, but it's going to be interesting to see because we've, I, I don't, I can't really remember when's the last time we've seen. Um, a number one pick that's actually like good, like a good player, not be retained by their team that drafted them. Yeah, it's been a very, very long time. Wow, that's bizarre. 
Yeah, I can't. I can't even remember the last one, to be honest. Um. Well, let's move on to our last topic. Um, Darvin Ham got hired by the Lakers. Um, after a pretty decent um coaching search by the Lakers. I mean, there were rumors that they were going to hire Terry Stotts, Doc Rivers. Lord knows I wanted them to hire either of those two because, you know, those seem like rehashes, but good to see Darvin Ham get his um his due. I mean, he's he's been a um assistant of the Bucks for a decent amount of time. Um and you know, he finally got the call up to be the head coach of the Lakers. Very interesting stuff that he said. Um, one thing that I noticed was, I mean, he said some stuff about like having Westbrook be a tenacious defender again, you know, Westbrook making sacrifices, AD being, taking games seriously, all these different things. I mean, at the end of the day, they don't mean much until we actually see how it all executes on the court. But how do you feel about this hire? Um, I, I guess I feel fine about it. Like I, it's really hard to, it's really hard to like say too much about a coach for them because their roster and everything is kind of just stuck, um, with just the contracts they have and everything. I would be lying if I said I knew a ton about Darvin Ham, but I think he's been interviewing now for a while. So he's been somebody that has gotten a lot of, uh, or not gotten a lot of, but like he's, he's, he's definitely been in the mix for a few jobs. So this is not like an unexpected one, uh, for the Lakers. It's probably just a good sign because they hired a coach that it seems like, you know, uh, I think LeBron, was rumored to be happy about it. Obviously, Russ was at the press conference, so he seems energized by it. AD, all these guys, like they need them to be on board, and they need them to actually be interested in working together because that was not the case this year. Um, so it seems like a good hire, but I, I mean, like this is my thing with the Lakers, and you know, people can say whatever they want about Frank Vogel and the job he did last year, and I don't really think anybody is too upset that he got fired, but like. I don't really know what you expected him to do with the pieces he was given with all the injuries they had and just how mismatched the roster was. I don't think there was any solution to that. And ultimately if this is the roster they have more or less, like they're going to struggle. It doesn't matter who the coach is. They're going to struggle because their talent level is just not that good. I mean, Russ, I don't care. You know, he's energized and all this kind of shit, but like he's just not a good player anymore. Um, and he's a terrible fit next to fucking LeBron and and uh, AD. Um, they are capped out. They don't have any first-round picks until 2027 to trade. The Pelicans basically own their future until then. Uh, they have no young talent. You know, their, their best young talent on the roster right now is Taylor Horton Tucker, who I think is, like, at best going to be a rotation guy, a solid rotation guy. There's not, you know, I don't see anything beyond that really. We'll see. Um, and then, you know, Monk was really good for them, but he's probably priced himself out of staying there because they can only yeah. go up to like seven and a half million or something like that to offer him next year. And multiple teams 
are likely to be able to offer him the full mid-level exception or more. And so, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I Good for Darvin Ham, and it seems like a good hire, but mm-hmm. there are so many bigger issues with their team right now than just who the coaches, because I don't think... I don't think the reason they underachieved is due to coaching. I think they underachieved because people's expectations of what that roster was capable of was just totally out of whack. Yeah. I mean, no matter who's the coach, they're still going to get blamed for when that team fails. I mean, it could have been like, could have been Greg Popovich as that coach. And it still would have made a difference because like you said, the roster construction is ass and like, it just doesn't fit. And I mean, poor Darvin Ham, when the Lakers get in a rut again, hopefully they don't blame him, but you know he's gonna get a lot of the the brunt of the of the criticism because he's the new guy that they hired. He's the one that's supposed to make all the magic work. So, you know, the Lakers are supposed to be all fine now. But yeah, their problems start with like roster construction with Russ. I was one of like Call me a Russ hater or whatever. I've been probably known as that for a while now, going back to when I was in high school. But I, I was never a fan of his game, but like definitely the fit with the the Lakers was just atrocious. And like I mean, you have Anthony Davis who can't stay healthy, and then you have this rotation filled with guys who they got for veteran minimum, a bunch of washed guys, and guys from the G League and off the street. And it was just like Hey, Frank Vogel, make this work and make Russell Westbrook make layups again. And like he couldn't do that, so he was a failure and had to be fired. And I mean, sure he's rigid as a coach and stuff like that, but like he wasn't gonna make miracles happen. So we'll see what happens at Darvin Ham. I mean, like you said, the Lakers problems run way deeper than the coach. They have so many more issues to solve. And I mean, I we didn't even bring up their management situation, which somehow involves Phil Jackson and Kurt Rambis. Like, is this the 2017 Knicks or something? Like what is going on over there? Yeah. I don't know, man. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's weird. They, it seems like, I don't think anybody really knows what the fuck is going on there, which is <laughs> a problem. Um, but I'm happy it's, it's their problem. Um, couldn't happen to a better team and a better set of, people uh then lakers fans uh to have to deal with all that shit <laughs> uh yep i mean wow um we're gonna wrap things up thank you Schwinn, for coming on do you have anything to plug as we head out uh not nah, man i got nothing to plug uh so i guess i'll just plug like the stuff that we're doing over the strickland so check out pod strickland uh i have a solo pod trick and roll um that you can access if you subscribe to the Patreon. Uh, all the draft stuff that Press has put out has been pretty great. So, yeah, man, I, I, I would say just check all of that stuff out. And, and uh, you know, thanks again for having me on. I uh, enjoyed it and uh, appreciate uh, the debut. No doubt. And since Schwinn already plugged the Strickland, I don't have to, which I usually do on the show. But links to everything will be in the description. We are out of here. Mm-hmm.